will, turn back with me to that chapter that we read at the beginning, Romans chapter 8, and this morning we're going to focus our attention on just one verse in Romans 8. It will be familiar to you, we've discussed it in this setting before, and we're returning again to it this morning, namely verse 28, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Father, I pray that You would speak to us so clearly, so powerfully today that by the time we finish, we would indeed know that You cause all things to work together for good to those who love You, to those who are called according to Your purpose. Speak to that end that we might know. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a a text of Scripture, as many of you will recognize, that is one of the most often quoted and memorized and, I hope, relied upon promises in the life of our church. Uh, We've gone over this verse and quoted it from this pulpit numerous of times, so much so that I almost feel that Romans 8.28 needs no introduction. So many of you know this verse so well, and not a few of you have walked through days and weeks where this verse and others like it were all you had to cling to. So not only do you know Romans 8.28, many of you, but you have lived it, and you've lived through seasons where you wish you had believed it more than you did. So it's a precious verse, it's a familiar verse, but even if you're unfamiliar with it this morning, Romans 8.28 really needs no introduction, I think, to get your attention. The plain words on the page are so clear in their presentation and so breathtaking and really almost unbelievable in their application that I think any ears actually listening to what Paul is saying will naturally perk up at this verse. Does the Bible really say that all things work together for good? Months without work is going to turn out for good? A child's severe and profound disability can produce pleasant final results? The death of a spouse can be for good? Horrific fears and doubts can work for our good? Is that really what the Bible teaches? And if so, how can that be? You see what I mean? If we just stop and listen to what this verse says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. We're forced to pay attention because it sounds exactly opposite of what we seem to see in our daily lives. Given the amount of tragedy that exists in our world and compared with the tall claims that this verse makes, Anyone, I think, who even gives a half a second of attention to it should at least be interested in a verse like this. How can he speak like this? Even if we refuse to believe what Paul is telling us, we're forced to ask, how can anyone say such a thing? Or how could anyone get suckered into believing this kind of pie-in-the-sky escapism? So I think anyone with any sense of feeling at all would either, on the one hand, rejoice in the promise of Romans 8.28 and testify of its truthfulness, or they would be dumbfounded that the Bible would make what seems to be a preposterous 
and even insensitive statement and that Christians would be sheep enough to believe it. Romans 8.28, if a person refuses to believe either in the, the reality of God or the power of God or the wisdom of God or the goodness of God, Romans 8.28 really would be, in that person's mind, one of the most insensitive things that could ever be said. For instance, how can you say that the death of a child is going to turn out for good? What a tactless, thoughtless, unfeeling thing to say to a grieving parent. So someone might say to us. And while we know that we must say this verse and others like it sensitively and not glibly and cheaply, we must say it with the right timing and I want you to hear that. We must also understand that an unbeliever thinks that it is foolish to say something like this at all. And that's what makes this verse not only one of the most soothing in the Bible for the believer, but also one of the most countercultural in the Bible. And so I say it provokes immediate interest, no matter what direction a person's coming from. And I would suggest, therefore, that you might not only use this verse to comfort yourself or other Christians, but also use it in evangelism. Mention Romans 8.28 in conversation sometime, tactfully and in the gentle consoling spirit with which Paul wrote it but ask your unbelieving friends what they think about a verse like this they may argue the truth of it they may scoff at it as pie in the sky they may become emotional or upset with you but in some form or fashion you'll have their attention you have made them think and you will then have an opportunity not only to speak to them of the kindness and wisdom and power of God, and not only to convince them of their need for a wise, good, heavenly Father, but it may also be an entry to speak to them of the cross of Christ as the ultimate example of how God worked even the worst of circumstances, the death of His only begotten Son for good, for the salvation of sinners. I think it's a striking verse even for unbelievers to consider. But before we begin using the verse to help unbelievers consider or to comfort one another or comfort ourselves, we need to understand very clearly what it means. Because a misquoted or misunderstood or misapplied Bible verse can be very dangerous, especially one that makes such large claims as this one. So let's take a close look at what this verse says First, by asking an important question. To whom does Romans 8.28 apply? To whom does Romans 8.28 apply? Well, listen again to what Paul says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, that narrows the promise somewhat, doesn't it? We often hear this verse quoted as though it simply ended with the word good. In fact, in that way, the sermon title today is not very good. It doesn't end with the word good. It goes on to remind us that the promise that God will work all things together for good is for believers in His Son only. In other words, if God has not called you to Himself, if you do not love God, verse 28, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you will not come to this God in faith, this verse doesn't apply to you. 
God may work your difficulty for the good of your Christian friend or parent or sister or child, but if you refuse to trust God, if you refuse to heed his call, if you refuse to love him, your difficulty will do nothing for you except hasten you closer to final judgment. But if you've been called by God, if you are his child by faith in Jesus, if you do therefore love him, then your cancer or your arthritis, or your financial difficulty, or your family pain, may have all kinds, will have all kinds of loving, wise purposes behind it. Perhaps God will deepen your faith through your trials. Perhaps, that is, God has made you feel through some difficulty like you are going to die, or like you wish you would die, either emotionally or physically, And the reason he's done that, perhaps, is so that, 2 Corinthians 1, you will not trust in yourself, but in God who raises the dead. Or perhaps God will use some difficulty like this. You're not a believer yet, but God is calling you. And perhaps he's using the cancer or the lack of work or the sickness in your child to bring you face to face with your need so that you might turn to the Lord our provider. I don't doubt that many of you have a testimony that includes that piece in the puzzle. God used something that at the time seemed like anything but good. Maybe it was a war in the world. Maybe it was a wayward child. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. And God used that as part of his larger plan to call you to Jesus. And if you love God and are called according to his purpose, there's no telling what good God will do for you. In the darkest moments. In fact, there's no telling what good God will do through you in the darkest moments either. Perhaps God will use your suffering to get you into the right hospital at the right time to share the gospel with that doctor or that nurse's assistant. Maybe he'll use your funeral to bring your son or daughter who wouldn't listen to you in life to listen to you in death and to make your God his or her own. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Maybe one of the all things today is this very sermon. Maybe you're here today and you realize that because you're not trusting in Jesus, this promise is not for you. But I want to tell you before we go on that it could be. You could have a heavenly father who cares for you like this. You could have the promise of all things working together for your good. If you would repent of your sins and entrust yourself to Jesus, the son of God, you would enter into all the benefits of this promise and so many other promises as well. So maybe today is the day for you to come to faith in Jesus. Maybe today is the day and Romans 8, 28 is the verse that the Holy Spirit is going to use to finally bring you to the one who gave his life so that he might do you nothing but good. I pray that it might be so. That's what this verse promises. If you are God's child, nothing but good will come out of all the things that happen in your life. Nothing but good. So the blessing of all things for good is guaranteed. It's guaranteed to believers only. And maybe it will make a believer out of someone this morning. But once we've settled the question of 
for whom this verse was written, we need to go on to the question of what this verse actually promises. What does it promise? As I said, misunderstanding this verse could be disappointing, discouraging, even dangerous, or devastating to you or to others to whom you might try to apply it. And as I studied it, it seemed to me that the best way to get at what this verse actually says and what it doesn't say would be just for us to read through it several times over, each time emphasizing a different key word or words. So, understanding from the latter half of the verse for whom the promise is intended, let's now focus our intention on the first half of the verse, on the promise itself, rereading it several times over and noticing several different points of emphasis. First of all, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Note carefully that word, God. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Everything will work out fine, says your optimistic neighbor about his upcoming surgery. If he's a little bit younger, he'll say, it's all good. And you hope that it will be, and you admire, in fact, his optimism. But I hope that you realize that it's all good or everything will be okay is not the same thing as saying God causes all things to work together for good. Those are two very different things. Your neighbor may well believe that all will be well simply because all has been well before or because he has the finest doctors or because he's an optimist. But what happens to his confidence when he wakes up in the recovery room and the finest doctors in the land say to him, the cancer was much more widespread than we originally thought and there's nothing more that we can do for you. You see, Romans 8.28 offers us something more than optimism based on percentages. This is not a verse that says, well, you know, things usually work out, and so I'm sure they'll work out this time too. This is a verse that says, even if things don't work out the way they normally do, even if things don't work out the way they should in your mind, there's still hope. Your circumstances are not being controlled by good luck, but by a good God. Not by happenstance, but by heaven. So even if... God does have good plans for your neighbor. He won't know it and therefore will be unable to take comfort in it unless he knows that God and not simply the winds of fortune work things for good. The verse doesn't say all things work together for good. It says that God causes all things to work together for good. Therefore, our hope does not lie ultimately in percentages or in precedence, but in the kindness and the wisdom of God himself. But then read it again. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. When I was a boy, I went to one of those art exhibits where they take pieces of household garbage and turn them into art. So you have maybe a rooster made out of Coke cans, a mosaic pieced together from sliced up sections of various different cereal boxes, and we can debate over lunch whether that's real art or not. Uh, I happen to like it. But there's no doubting that these folks are great improvisers, right? They take trash and they turn it into treasure. And sometimes that's how we view God. 
God is the great improviser. He's the great fixer up in the sky. He's able to take things that are trashed and turn them into treasure. He comes along and finds our lives all crumpled up in a corner and he sort of makes the most out of a bad situation. He improvises a little bit and he turns everything for good. So maybe there's a tree branch that falls on your roof in the windstorm. Bad event, right? But the next morning you're out clearing away the debris and your neighbor comes over to help you and you end up getting to talk to him about the Lord. Maybe he'll eventually come to church with you. Maybe he'll eventually come to Christ and you'll worship together forever in heaven. And everyone would agree that things ended well. But the question is, did God cause all those things or did he just turn a bad event for good? Did the tree fall as a result of happenstance so that God, opportunist that he is, was able to swoop in and impact your neighbor? Or was it actually that God caused the wind that blew the tree branch over? And was it that he controlled the precise direction of the wind so that it would catch the branch at the right place? Was it that God for the last 20 years has been shaping the curve of the tree branches so that when he sent that wind, the tree would fall exactly where he wanted it to onto your roof? And was it God that caused that neighbor to move in across the street in the first place? Did God turn an unexpected windstorm into something good? Or did he cause the windstorm and all the details of its fallout so that the events would conspire to work for your and your neighbor's good? Was God in control of the windstorm, permitting it, designing it, harnessing it for you and your neighbor's good? Or is he just really good at improv? I think Romans 8.28, and particularly the word cause, along with the rest of Scripture, teach the former. God is not an opportunist. He is a careful planner. God is not in your life as an improviser, but as a master, meticulous design engineer. God causes all things to work together for good. In other words, no circumstance in your life ever catches God off guard or forces him to rework his plans or adjust his timetable. He has a detailed blueprint for your life into which he himself has sketched all the necessary falling trees and heart attacks and financial setbacks and so on. These things are not hiccups that God has to come and smooth out along the way. They're part of God's original blueprint. The verse doesn't say God turns all things for good so much as he causes, he plans, he works difficult things for good. We see this, don't we, in the account of Joseph in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. After his brothers had sold him into slavery and unwittingly put him into position to be governor of all Egypt, And after their ill will had worked in his favor and in theirs, what did Joseph say to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20? Did he say, you meant evil against me, but God turned it for good? No, he says something more than that. Joseph knew that God was no mere fixer-upper. He said to his brothers quite profoundly, you meant evil against me, but God turned meant it for good. God meant it. 
And when your car breaks down or your computer crashes or you end up in the hospital or the tree falls on your house or on your child, it will be no accident. God will have meant that, planned that, timed that, permitted that for the good of his people. God will not be with you by the side of the road or in the hospital bed or or next to the casket improvising, figuring out a way to make the most of a bad and surprising situation. No, he will be there as a wise, loving, sovereign of the universe who is powerful enough to send the storm or to stop it and wise enough to cause the winds to blow in exactly the right direction for your good. God causes all things to work together for good. But then read the verse again. And we know that God causes all all things, all things to work together for good. These are the two words that make this verse so hard to swallow, aren't they? These are the two words that will flabbergast your friends. In fact, they may say to you, okay, so maybe there is a God who allows or even designs tree branches to fall on houses for good reasons. But is that always the case? Every time the branch falls, every time the sparrow falls out of the tree, every time you hear the squealing of the tires on the road, is God really in control of all of those things? All of them? Even the horrific ones? What if the tree had fallen on your house and killed your child? Are you saying that you believe that God caused all of that too for good? Are you saying that something good can come out of your dead child? Because that's what the verse seems to be saying when it puts a blanket phrase like all things into the midst. What are you going to say to your friend in a moment like that? I hope through tears you would be able to say yes, all things, including dead children, including my dead child. I don't know why God allowed this. I don't know why God would have taken her from me. I don't know how this could possibly be for my or anyone else's good, but I know that it is. Whether I understand it or not, even this is part of the all things in Romans 8.28. I hope that you could speak like that. I hope that I could speak like that. It's not easy, but it's true. And I hope I would be able to say it if the thing that God was using for my good was not just an act of, quote, nature, but an act of sin. What if it's not a tree branch falling on one of my children, but a kidnapper? Or what if someone walked into this room and began to open fire, as happens to Christians in other places in the world, maybe even happening today? I hope, horrific as those acts would be, on a human level, that we would have our heads on square enough to say with Joseph, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. A few moments ago, I called Joseph's words profound, and they are, because they teach us that God is complex enough to permit people to sin And even to use their sin in his plan without himself being sinful. God is able to permit or even design things that involve human sin without himself being sinful. 
Let's think about that. According to Genesis 50, God is complex enough even to mean for something to happen that in the human realm is sinful, and yet he is not sinning when he does it. How can that be? Well, the key is that God has a different intention. God has a different design behind what he does. Was Joseph's being sold into slavery sinful? Absolutely. Horrible. But only from his brother's side of the equation. Their act was sinful because their intentions were sinful. They meant it for evil. And even if they had somehow thought, we'll do this and it'll turn out good, we don't have the prerogative, Romans 3, 8, to do evil so that good may come. But God is not like us. God meant for Joseph to go into slavery, just like Joseph's brothers meant for him to go into slavery. But for God, it wasn't sin. Why? Because of his intentions and his ability and his power to use it for good. And since God's intentions for his people are always good, he can permit and even mean for something to happen which involves a human being's free choice to sin without God being sinful himself. We mean it for evil, but God means it for good. So all things really means all things, even sinful things that happen to us. And I pray when you are tested that God will give you strength to believe that. I pray that if you've already been tested, that God will give you strength to believe it. To believe that that terrible thing that happened to you, or that's happening to you right now, though that person clearly meant it for evil, he or she did not for one moment interrupt God's wise, loving plan in your life. God was not taking that day off. He cared for you as much in the very moment of that suffering as he does now in the healing process. And though it may never make sense until heaven, in that moment, God had his best interest, your best interest in his mind. The same the way he does when everything seems to be going well. Someone meant it for evil, but your loving Heavenly Father in ways that you and I may never understand will use it for your eternal good. All things. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Together. The word together is an immensely important word in this verse. It will prevent us from some of the danger of misunderstanding and therefore misapplying this verse to our lives or the lives of others. Together. That word reminds us that it is not the tree falling on the child that is the good event. But the outcomes that God will work when he combines that event together with all sorts of other events in his providence and mercy. That's the good. Did you hear that? It's not the tree falling on the child that's good. It's the way God will take that and work it together with his mercy, his providence to bring about good. Hear that well. It's not the tree falling that's good. It's not the man sexually abusing his co-worker that's good. It's not the collapsed school building that's good. There are bad events in this world. They are the effects of original sin. And there are downright evil 
events in this world when human beings choose to continue to sin against God and each other. So God is not saying here, all things are good. Hear that. The verse does not say all things are good. It tells us with the word together that though some events are perfectly horrific, when they are mixed together, with all of the providences and mercies of God, the final outcome in our lives will be good. Bad things, in other words, don't happen in a vacuum. They happen together with God's overarching purposes. If bad things happen in a vacuum, Romans 8.28 would fall on its face, wouldn't it? Because if we isolate a single event from all of the other things that God is doing in our lives, there's usually no immediate good that comes For instance, from a man being killed by a drunk driver. Disconnected from all the other events in our lives, in the immediacy of the moment, the only outcome that may be in that situation is that one man is dead, another man's going to spend the rest of his life behind bars, and two wives and two sets of children have no longer a father or a husband anymore. And none of that is good in and of itself, is it? And if that were all there were to this story, we wouldn't have Romans 8.28. But the car crash is not the whole story in this verse. What is good in an incident like that is not the incident by itself, but how God fits that horrific event together with a thousand other puzzle pieces to make an overall beautiful picture out of your life. So Romans 8.28 is not a verse really about isolated events. It's a verse about how isolated and often terrible events fit into God's overarching good plans for our lives. Romans 8.28 does not guarantee that everything that happens to us in and of itself would be good, but it does teach that everything that happens to us is a part of a larger divine plan in which every puzzle piece, good and bad, plays a part in God's promise to prosper us and not to harm us. Together, Note that word well. Not all things are good, but by God's grace, all things come together, work together for good. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For good. We don't have time to dwell long here on the word good, but let me just remind you, again, so that you don't misapply this verse to your life and end up falling flat. Let me remind you that what God deems to be good for you is not always identical with what you deem to be good for yourself. What God thinks is good may not always be three meals a day. What God thinks is good for you may not necessarily be what we would call good health. What God thinks is good for you may not be long life may not be children, it may not be the perfect marriage, it may not be safety, it may not be good insurance, it may not be financial security, or at least it may not be many of these things right now. So don't misunderstand this verse. Don't color in between the lines of Romans 8.28 with the red, white, and blue of the American dream. The American dream may not be God's plan for you. He may have something different for you that under his definition, will be good and even better. The word good in Romans 8.28 has a lot more to do with your soul than with your body. It has a lot more to do with your home in heaven than your house on the earth. 
It has a lot more to do with your spiritual well-being than your physical health. It has a lot more to do with God's glory than with your own personal dreams. So you may not get what you want, but if you love God and are called according to his purpose, you will get what is good. Be content with that. Be content with the hand that God has dealt you. Don't murmur about your trials. When you get to heaven, you'll thank God for this verse. And you'll thank God, I believe, specifically for that he did not allow you to decide what the word good meant in your life. Finally, Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. What is it that you're struggling with or worrying about or fretting over or grieving for right now? For many of you, there are very real and deep pains and fears and sorrows. What is it for you? I hope with that particular struggle in mind, you can say with Paul, I know that God causes all things to work together for good for his children. I know that God will work this for my good. I don't know how, but I know that he will. How do we know? Well, for some of us, we know because we've already lived long enough in faith to see firsthand that it's true. We've seen God take fears and use them to draw us to himself. We've seen him take heartaches and use them to bring our families closer together around his word. We've seen him use times of difficulty to remind us this world is not our home. We've seen him use great pain and trial to remind us how special is the church family. We've seen him restore to us and even mature us in joy through our greatest stumbles into sin and the list could go on and on when you have walked as a child of God through the valley of the shadow of death and come out on the other side you know that Romans eight twenty eight is true but what if you haven't walked that far down the path yet what if you're still young in the faith what if you're a new Christian and you haven't yet gone through any steep valleys can you still say with Paul I know That God causes all things to work together for good? Yes. You don't have to have experienced it deeply to know that it's true. All things work together by the hand of God for my good. Even if I haven't experienced it, it's right here in black and white on the pages of Scripture, isn't it? So whether we've experienced it or not, we know Romans 8.28 is true. And that's important to remember because when you're in the midst of the valley, you don't always feel like it's true. Isn't that so? When you're in the midst of the valley, you don't always feel like God is working all things together for good. On the backside of the trials, it becomes a great deal more plain. But in the dark valley, it's hard to see the truth of this verse. So you have to know that God causes all things to work together for good. Not simply by sight and experience, but by faith. 
You have to know this, not by sight and experience only, but by faith in the word of God. When experience seems to give you no evidence, you need in that moment still to know that God causes all things to work together for good. Simply because he made you a promise in his word and God never breaks his promises. Finally, though, in addition to our own experience and the scriptures, how do we know that God causes all things to work together for good? Well, as we finish, come with me to the cross. Here is the farthest extreme to which the words all things could ever be stretched. Nothing could be more dreadful. Nothing could be more awful. Nothing could be more sinful than the Son of God being spit upon and beaten with rods and mocked and lashed with bone-tipped cords until his back looked like ground meat. Nothing pushes the idea of all things to its limit like the very Son of God being thrown on the ground and lashed to a giant stake and then nailed in place for good measure and hung up there to suffocate in his own bodily fluid. But you tell me, when you look at that cross, does God really work all things for good for his people? Isn't our whole life bound up in those cords with which he was whipped? Doesn't our eternal destiny hang on those nails? Doesn't all that is ultimately good depend upon and flow from those horrific wounds? Dear Christian, no matter what you experience in this world, no matter how far the words, all things may someday stretch you, you'll never suffer like Jesus suffered. You will never be treated so brutally and unjustly and be left there even in that moment forsaken by God himself. That will never happen to you. So if you are ever tempted to doubt whether this event or that really has any good purpose, walk again to the hill called Calvary and search the wounds predetermined in the plan of God and see there your life your forgiveness, your relationship with the Father, your eternity all flowing to you in the blood of Jesus. And as you look on him, you will be able to say with certainty, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Father, I prayed at the beginning and I pray now at the end that we would know these things. Know them so well that we will live by faith in the promises even when the circumstances in our lives seem not to fit with the promises. God, thank you for Jesus Thank you for the way that he purchased us with his blood so that this verse can apply to us to begin with. And thank you for the way by shedding his blood, he is the ultimate illustration of the truth of this verse. So we pray in his name. Amen.